to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. How many of you are alive this morning? Yes? Oh, I am. How many of you are thankful for worship team? Man, I'm just in a thankful mode. Are you, are you appreciative of worship team? You did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, me and Jason, we, we uh, frequently preach at uh, this place, which I will not name. Uh, but I tell you, man, I, I don't know whether you've been to churches where they only have one organ, and it's always an old lady on an organ. And the old lady has the ability to play five to six instruments on that organ all at the same time. How many of you have seen that before? It's actually a sign and a wonder, really. It's, it's fulfillment of the biblical promise. And so this lady would, would play like every song on one organ. And the, you got the drums, you got the piano, you got guitar for some reason, and then you got like the brass instruments and tambourine. Cannot, you need tambourine. And so, and so the old lady is playing, you know, and, uh, and I mean, we, we go to this church fairly often, and uh, this old lady, and they will start the, uh, the worship in... No typical way, you know, like, if they're going to sing My Redeemer Lives, they will quote, like, the first two lines, like, Everybody, you know that the Lord rescued your soul? He did. His blood paid for your sin. Everybody now. Ah, no. And so, and so, yeah, it's it's always super fun to go there. But, you know, they they mix it all weird, and then, like, she sings off-key and stuff like that. And and whenever I go there, I'm so appreciative of our worship team, and I'll stand there, and, uh, and... But you know, like I just to be very honest, like we're honest people here. I go there and I get a bit judgy. I'm like, oh my gosh, how can they worship in this music? You know, is this even worship? But and then I'll look around, and then people will just be going for it, you know, and they will be screaming and singing, and I'll be standing there in the front and I look at them, like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with them? You know, and and the one time I went there and uh, that thought came into my my head of like, you know, what's what's wrong with them? Like, how can they worship in this? Then God spoke to me in one of the clearest uh, way uh, uh, manners I've ever heard. You know, and He said, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> you know, and uh, and I recognize that my uh, obsession to 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 be honest with like everything needs to flow correctly uh, has hindered my my worship life. How many of you know that? your magnitude of worship is not contingent on how well the band performs. It's contingent on how worth, how worthy he is. Amen? So we, we pray the prayer like, God, remove everything that hinders my love for you. And, and we often like talk about it um, and we think it's, it's just a demonic, but you know, we have to recognize that there are some things in our lives that we just need to be okay with not having and uh, allowing these things to die so that they, they no longer hinder our worship. Amen? So can I encourage you, you know, every opportunity you get to offer worship with God, go for it with all your passion, with all your heart. Passion is not a personality type. Passion is not a pers- personality type. It's, it's a heartfelt response to how good He is. Amen? Just a five-minute nugget for you. Chicken McNuggets. Okay, so uh, we're going to... I'm. I'm going to do something a bit different uh, this morning. Um, most of the times when I preach, I usually have um, a little uh, topic and then um, I would have different verses in place and uh, present to you uh, my thoughts on the topic. But this uh, 
morning, I want to give you a bit of insight to my devotional life. And uh, the, the way I do devotion is I usually have a, a chunk of scripture that I'll read and uh, the Lord will just speak to me um, and just uh, review different truths to me through that passage of scripture. How many of you do that? Fairly, fair enough? Yes? Okay. So we're going to look at our passage of scripture together this morning. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible, flip to them. Apple phones on them, Samsung phones. If it's the 7, please go out and chug it. Okay, let's have the verse on the screen. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Okay, let's go from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look at verse 1. It says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one who is caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter, of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I will refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Okay, verse 7. Everyone pay attention. It says this, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger for, of Satan to buffet me, buffet me, buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your presence. We thank you for your word that is alive and active and speaking to us uh, on a daily basis. God, we ask that this morning, even as we dive into your word, God, that you will speak in such a clear and, and, and a, a impactful manner, God, that you will impact hearts this morning with the truth of your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to rest upon this place, to rest upon every individual to bring forth true and lasting transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, well, this morning I'll be sharing from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And, you know, as uh, preachers, you know, there are s different topics that are, in some, I would say, hard to preach. Okay, you know, like speakers, you know, when they are starting out, they don't talk about the book of Job. Very often, you know, it's a really hard uh, a book to preach about and uh, you know I don't go into the book of Revelation and tell you when and where the Antichrist is and stuff like that and stuff like that you know it's really hard to talk about and uh, preachers often uh, just avoid these topics and they talk about the nice fluffy stuff and one of those topics I'll put it up there in that category is this whole subject about Paul's thorn in the flesh so this morning I'm going to dive right in, and I'm going to attempt to uh, speak to you on this subject. Um, 
to be honest, I tried to avoid this for the whole week, but you know, I just feel that the Lord has um, something in store for you and me this morning through uh, this passion and through the preaching of His Word. Amen? And so, okay. Thorn in the flesh is often uh, used as a colloquial term to, to describe you know, chronic infirmity, annoyance, maybe your sister's boyfriend, or trouble in, in one's life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, and when we look at this passage of Scripture, okay, there often two questions will pop up. What is the thorn in the flesh? What is it? What is, what is Paul's infirmity? What is he afflicted with? And who gave him that thorn in the flesh? And no, most uh, people speculate that Paul had a chronic physical condition. It was a weakness, temptation, or regret for past sins, or it was the persecution that he endured from the Jews wherever he travels. And who gave him the thorn? Nobody really knows. Nobody really uh, uh, can definitely say that who, you know, the source of where the thorn came from. And the truth is, you know, with passages like that in the Bible where there's a bit of ambiguity, we often, uh, I mean, preachers and leaders are often pressured to give answers to questions that members might have. And how many of you know that there is danger when you answer questions that God isn't answering to? Does that make sense? And, and so, you know, here, here's how bad doctrine comes about. You know, you approach certain uh, things or you have certain experiences which create certain assumptions. And with assumptions comes speculation. And when you speculate about it long enough, it becomes popular thought. And popular thought will always become belief systems and that's how you get bad doctrine. And so with passages like that, it's important and crucial for us to not jump into conclusions. Like, oh, Paul must have had a sickness, or Paul uh, must have had that thorn, that sickness given to him by God. The Bible does not say that. Am I making sense to you? We cannot move past the overall biblical narrative. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to heal sickness. And the Father and Jesus are one and the same, the Trinity. They are in perfect unison. The Father would not send sickness and then ask Jesus to go heal them. They are one and the same. And so we cannot form theology and biblical beliefs that are beyond and, and move past the overall biblical narrative, what Jesus came to reveal to you and me. The perfect revelation of who the Father is. Amen? And I think, you know, by design, this passage of Scripture is on purpose ambiguous. How many of you are following me? And it, it, we have this tendency of reading passages and, you know, when, uh, like, let's say, you know, they say, the thorn in the flesh is sickness. And then we, we automatically disassociate with passages. Let's say, oh, I'm, I'm going through um, certain trials or certain circumstances, but it is not sickness. And then when I read this passage of Scripture and it says explicitly sickness, I automatically disassociate with the passage, Right? And I've, I feel that it's kept open, it's kept vague, so that we are able to relate in some manner as well. How many of you are following me? Even though we don't understand, I believe that there are still lessons to be learned. 
especially with Paul's response to the thorns. Paul was initially extremely resistant to it. It says this, um, go, let's go back a couple of slides. Uh, next slide. Uh, next slide. Okay. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You see, in this passage, you can see almost the struggle that Paul had with this thorn, with this affliction. Paul was not, uh, at this point, a willing recipient of this. And Paul, in, in that word pleaded, it actually, if you look into the original wording used, it, it actually refers to a man who is in extreme distress. He was stressed up. He was, he was not liking his situation. And he pleaded with the Lord. He begged the Lord three times. And this was Paul. Paul was extremely resistant to it. But if you look at the next slide, it says this. It says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had a dramatic perspective shift. Eventually, he saw great value in the thorn. There is good in the thorns. And this is my sermon title, my subject for this morning. It, it is the purpose of the thorn. Everybody say the purpose of the thorn. The purpose of the thorn. As a culture, you know, we are growing to be increasingly pain and discomfort resistant. My generation is known to be the generation of instant gratification. In layman's term, it means that my generation longs to hit the outcome, get the finished product in the quickest, painless manner. And we term that efficiency, right? Quickless, painless, shortcut, easiest way to get there. That is the efficient way. But how many of you know that in the kingdom of God, efficiency in that manner is not always the right way? The shortest and the quickest method and means that is not always the kingdom way. Sometimes the Lord will take you on a longer route Go through some bumps and bruises to teach you character, to form grit, to form resolve, to form resilience in your life. There is a purpose to pain. There is a purpose to hardship that I feel that we need to discover as a people, as a church community. And, and I feel this is super essential for us as the church Here's, here's, here's why I, I believe this is um, important. It says this, it says that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. In a, a time in history where there's so much suffering, there's so much pain, there's so much resistance against the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is our appropriate response? What can we do to come against that? To which we see, you know, you just need to get on your Facebook right now, scroll through. 70% of the news you read today are, are bad news. And it seems as though darkness is triumphing. And, you know, we, we will come to a place of asking ourselves, what can we do then do? What did Jesus say is the response of his people in light of darkness? 
in the face of circumstance. He said this, build the church. And I believe that this aspect of understanding the purpose of the thorn, under ex- understanding the purpose of pain is an essential piece to us being built up as a community. Can someone say amen? I put it to you this morning that this life is not one of perpetual great comfort. Not just for Christians, everyone. Life happens. Paul himself was attacked by an angry mob, shipwrecked three times and floated for 24 hours, stoned and left for dead, beaten with rods three times, whipped with 39 lashes five times. That was Paul. Paul underwent immense suffering, immense discomfort. And you know, from what I'm saying this morning, you might think that, oh, Andre is telling all of us to love pain. <laughs> or like, be, uh, go out, buy a whip, and whip ourselves, and like, oh, I, I like pain, you know. <laughs> I, I don't think it's senseless discomfort and pain. Paul is not saying that. That would be incredibly dysfunctional and sadistic to, to a point. Paul didn't find senseless pleasure in pain. Come on. He found purpose in the pain and that brought pleasure. The thorn, though uncomfortable, had a purpose attached to it. And the word buffet, the word buffet that we read earlier, is not um, laying out a spread and eating. That word buffet actually means to strike repeatedly. If you look into the original meaning, it means to restrain, to come against, to oppose. Can I put it, put it to you that in your life, if you don't face opposition every now and then, you have to begin to wonder whether, whether you're walking in the same direction as the one that you're meant to oppose. Let me repeat that. If you don't encounter opposition every now and then, you have to begin to wonder whether you're walking in the same direction as the one that you are meant to oppose. Opposition is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a sign of progress. And if you read that first verse we read in, uh, in verse 7, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. The thorn in the flesh was given as a sign of Paul growing in the revelations of God that he was receiving at this point on a daily basis. It was a sign of progress. Amen? It's all about perspective. He started off hating it, but then he saw value. He saw great purpose in it. How many of you know that two people can have two different perspectives and experiences of the same event? Like just now, we sang that song, you won't let go, you won't let go, you won't let go, you won't let go. Some of you here might be like, oh my gosh, they're singing that same line again and again and again and again and again. I get it, he won't let go. (laughs) But then you turn next to you and then you see somebody with their eyeballs almost popping out of the socket because they're crying so much. Two people can have two experiences to a similar event. Just go on a hike with me and Amy and you would clearly see why. Amy would be skipping. She skips. Skipping, smelling the flowers. I'll be on the ground, half passed out. And she'd be like, you can do it. Like, oh, yeah. Let me go. Leave me. Let me die. Two people can have completely different experiences of the same event. 
And I found that, you know, Christians who succeed, Christians who do well, Christians who mature uh, in the faith, develop a perspective of pain that, that results in them finding purpose. Am I, am I making sense to you? Your perspective of pain will determine your response, and your response will always determine your outcome. Am I making sense to you? See, so I just want to repeat, I'm not saying stop contending against pain, suffering, and affliction. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this, that there are times where the Lord will allow certain things to happen in your life to teach you some lessons or to bring you back on the right path. Just look at the story of Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God. He disobeyed the assignment. He ran away. And what did God do? God sent a whale, right? Fish, whale. It was a big fish. Okay, God sent a big fish. And the fish grabbed him and, and Jonah in the midst of it was like, oh my gosh, this is the judgment. This is persecution. This is, I'm being judged for my disobedience. But how many of you know that in the end, the whale was what brought Jonah back to his assignment? And I feel God, sometimes in His mercy, will allow these things to happen to you to push you back on the right track. The thorn is not an act of God's judgment. It's an act of His mercy. It says this, lest I be exalted above measure, lest I be puffed up, lest I... I move to a point of independence and, and remove dependence of God. Lest I get to that place, a thorn was given to me. I'm making sense to you this morning. Today I want to present to you three purposes of the thorn. Everybody say three. Three purposes of the thorn. And this is what I believe uh, are the things that the Lord wants to bring about in your life and mine. And this is the first purpose. first purpose. The first purpose is this. The thorn preserves our character. Say character. See, it's an oxymoronic statement, right? We look at the thorn as a, a, a thing that, that harms us, as a thing that causes hurt and pain. But in actual fact, you know, it actually preserves us. It actually keeps us. We think that trials were meant to wear us down, but he uses it to keep us straight and build us up. It says this, it says, a thorn was given for the flesh. Everybody say flesh. And the word flesh in the Greek is actually the word sarki. S-A-R-K-I. I'm not making it up. Sarki. So you think very sarki, but no, a thorn of flesh was given to you. you think, and, and the word sarki actually means this. It actually means human ability or human empowerment. A thorn in the flesh was given for human ability for human empowerment. In the abundance of his revelation, you see, Paul is this amazing man. He wrote most of the New Testament that we read today. Paul was this remarkable man, planted churches, was leading, to be honest, the, the greatest church movement in that day. And Paul was susceptible to pride, to coming to a place of I have it all together. I am able. I am empowered. I know all the right answers. I know all the right things to do. I do not need God. The children of Israel, when they were given an invitation to meet with the Lord, said this to, to Moses. Moses, 
Go and speak to the Lord and we will surely do all that He tells us to do. Derek Prince said that the greatest sin that the children of Israel committed was the sin of independence. Of coming to a place of, I do not need God. I can do it on my own. And when you come to a place of independence, you always create idols for yourself. And that's what children of Israel did. They became independent. They, they did not need God anymore. And at times, God in His mercy will bring about certain circumstances in your life to review your desperate need for Him, to review your need to be dependent on Him. Amen? You think your human ability is great. Your human uh, powers are great, but it's honestly sarky. And then he, 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 he doesn't just stop. He doesn't just give a thorn and says, take the thorn and you're not able. He says this. He says, I give you my grace. My grace is sufficient for your weakness. And that word grace there is not just a fluffy feeling. That word grace there means divine empowerment. When you come to the end of your ability, when you come to the end of all that you're able to do, God comes through. His grace is sufficient. Amen. I once heard a story about an athlete that lost his arm in a, in a car accident. And this was a, a very um, competitive athlete. You know, he, he participated in all sorts of sports. And uh, it, was a, it was a terrible accident. He lost his, uh, the use of his right hand in the car accident. It had to be amputated. And so the athlete, being a really competitive person, sought to find a sport that he could participate in and he could be competitive once again. And so he tried out different sports and then he found a sport, handball. And uh, he started playing handball and got really good at it and became in, uh, competitive. How many of you know what handball is? Okay, it's basically you use your hand, you take the ball and you throw the ball. That's basically all I know about handball. And so he started playing handball and uh, this one hand guy started playing handball and he got so good at it that his team ended up becoming the state champions. It's an actual news. And, and so uh, uh, he they became the state champions and a reporter uh, caught him after the winning game and he, and she, he said, hey, uh, uh, no offense, but how in the world do you become the state champion you know, with just one hand? Like, how, how did you succeed? How did you become better than all the other players? And the one-hand guy looked at her and said, easy, options. He said, options. And then he goes on to explain about how when another player catches the ball, he has to think, do I use my left hand to throw or do I use my right hand to throw? For him, the decision was already made. <laughs> options. And so he, he had no option and, and that's what made him so good because he didn't have to go through the extra step of thinking, of processing, of weighing out the pros and cons and he just had one option and the one option was throw the ball with my left hand. And I think for us, for, for Christians, for us as believers, we need to come to a point where our only option is Jesus. There's no other option, there's no other way, there's no other method. We need to come to a place of complete and total dependence on Him. That's the way it's intended to be all along. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were not made to function, to thrive outside of the glory, outside of who He is, outside of grace. 
You are not made to thrive outside of His presence. And God, in His mercy, will bring about certain situations and circumstances to take you back to that place of complete and total dependence. Does it make sense? It's a tough one. This topic's a tough one, but appreciate your grace. Like the hymn writer wrote, he said this, my hope is built on nothing less. In Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Holy lean on Jesus' name. The next purpose of the thorn, the thorn gives us an opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise. It gives us an opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise. In the city of the New Jerusalem, we read in the book of Revelations, there are 12 gates. And these 12 gates are referred to as gates of praise. How many of you know what the gates are made of? The gates are made of one giant pearl. 12 gates, they're made of one giant pearl each. Can you imagine how big that pearl is? Huge pearl. This is how pearls are formed. A pearls are formed when uh, sand, when grains uh, made their way into the oyster. And the oyster, um, um, in some manner, battles against the grain and, and it rubs and it causes a bit of friction. And then the oyster secretes a, a certain uh, liquid. And that liquid, over time, uh, as it rolls and rolls and rolls, that's how you get pearls. It's true irritation that pearls are formed. It's true pain. It's true uh, that, that friction, that, that discomfort that pearls are formed. And that really is what praise is like. Praise is not meant to be easy. Praise is meant to be a sacrifice. Well, <laughs> Praise is, at times is a hard thing. You know, especially in affliction when you don't understand, that's when it becomes a sacrifice. Why did God allow for Paul to be afflicted? Why, why this? Why that? And it's often hard to praise in circumstance because our praise is placed on contingent to God's answer to our questions. We live in a day and age where knowledge, where answers are readily available. You don't know the answer to something, just Google. You know, in the past you have to flip through the encyclopedia, but these days no longer, you just need to Google, right? And many times we approach our relationship God with God in the same manner. Like, I want answers now. I want to know now. The Bible says this, the Bible says that it's the glory of Him to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to search it out. We cry out for the glory of God, but how many of you know that it's His glory to conceal a matter? Where there is mystery, there is glory is as well. I'm going to repeat that. Where there is mystery, His glory is as well. And this faith is, is one full of mystery because this, because this is a simple fact. God's ways are higher than yours and mine. The wisdom of God, who can fathom? If we have a God that we can completely understand and predict, we do not have a God at all. He is higher, He is greater. How can a created thing comprehend its creator? We can't. He is higher, He is 
greater. And this faith is one full of mystery, is one full of questions. But in that place of having questions, that place of doubt, we get to offer a sacrifice of praise. We get to praise even when we don't understand. I want to read to you a story. A, a young man named Glenn Chambers. Glenn had a heart to serve God on the mission field. He got his training, went to Bible college, went to seminary, and he raised his support. He left everything behind and bought a plane to fly as a missionary to South America. He had gone through the strain of financial problems and misunderstanding with family. He dealt with the pain of separation and he was filled with hope and anticipation and excitement about serving Christ. As he was about to fly, he thought to himself, I really should have said more to my parents. So he tore off a corner of a magazine and wrote them a little note. Mom and Dad, I'm so excited going to serve Christ. Thanks for getting behind me in this. I love you, Glenn. Glenn then stuffed the note in an envelope and put it in the mail to his parents. Glenn got on the plane and in the middle of the night, a mountain in the jungles of Ecuador reached up and pulled that plane out of the sky. And Glenn was killed in a plane crash. He never made it. All the training, all the fundraising, everything, and he never got there. After the funeral was over, his parents got the letter Glenn wrote. They opened it. It turns out that on the back of the magazine corner he torn off to write the note was printed one word. Why? Why? As a preacher told the story, he went on to say that that's the question that hits the hardest. It is the question that hurts the most. It's the question that lingers the longest. It's the question that every follower of Jesus Christ has asked. You asked it. Why, God? Mystery. We don't know why. And we can either use it as an opportunity to get offended with God, to validate certain bad beliefs, or can use it as an opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise, something that actually costs us. Because in that day, when you're face to face with Him in that, thro- in that throne room, there are no more tears, there are no more pain. All will be made known. There will be no more pain of mystery. And you stand there, and you are face to face with the one who holds all things together and you offer praise and worship. But on the earth, in this 70 to 80 years we have together, there is that element of mystery. There is the element of not knowing. The pain of mystery. And in that, in situations, in moments, in circumstances like this, you get to offer a sacrifice of praise. Amen? It's in mystery where praise is costly. I can either let my outcome determine the level of my praise or my praise shift my circumstance. Praise is a gate. And gate is a point of access. When you praise, you build a gate for the King of Glory to come in. Praise into breakthrough for your circumstance. Amen? Last point, says, I say, the thorn sets the stage for God's intervention. The thorn sets the stage for God's intervention. It's a divine exchange, ladies and gentlemen. In my weakness, then I'm strong. Where I'm weak, where I come to the end of my own ability, there His grace is sufficient. If I live a life of lacking absolutely nothing, I miss out on encounters with Him who provides everything. 
The truth is you will never know him as healer until you come to a point of affliction. The truth is you will never know him as provider until you come to a place of lack. You will know about his provision. You will know that he does these things, but you won't know him in that manner, in that attribute for yourself. If you live a life of lacking nothing, you miss out on encounters with him who provides everything. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no victory without a battle, no testimony without a test, and no miracle without an impossible circumstance. In every circumstance is an opportunity for a new revelation of who God is. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that he causes these circumstances, but I know him to be one who makes all things work together for my good. He can turn every painful situation around. He can redeem everything. Even the, the, the most lost and, and darkest moments of your life, he can redeem everything. When the boy came up to Jesus with that five loaves and two fishes, I'm sure Jesus could go, I only need one loaf and one fish and can make this whole thing happen. No, he took everything. Whatever you bring to his table, he will use everything. He wastes nothing. Even the most painful and dire circumstances, if you're willing to bring it to his throne, he'll be able to use it. Amen? He can turn even the most painful experience into something redeemable. Uh, in our last Alpha, we, we heard about the story of Corey Ten Boom. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. And Corey was a young girl who was taken into one of the camps uh, during uh, uh, the, the uh, Hitler's reign. And she was a Jew and she was persecuted. And she witnessed the death of her family members in that camp. And uh, at the, as, um, as the war ended, she was released from that camp and... Uh, and God gave her a tremendous message of forgiveness, of total forgiveness, of forgiving those who trespass against you, of forgiving those who cause harm and, and have afflicted you. And Cory Ten Boom went around the world preaching that message of forgiveness, bring breakthrough to many as one who, is, who has witnessed some of the most horrific things in human history. She got past that pain. She got past that suffering to bring about a message of forgiveness. And, and you know, one of the famous stories, Corey was in a church in Germany and she was approached by a German man. And this man looked at her and instinctively, instantly, Corey recognized this man and this man was one of the Nazi guards, the very man who persecuted her and her family, who brought death to her family. And Corey Tenbun in that moment had to forgive him. And... Today, we, we talk about that story and that, that, that whole exchange as something beautiful, as something inspirational. But it was incredibly painful. It was one, it, it, not just the, the, uh, being in the camps, but in, in that moment, having to forgive the one who caused you all that pain and hurt it was one of tremendous emotional pain. But she did it. And today, it's something inspirational, is something beautiful. He can turn pain, hardship, circumstance, redeem it, and make it something beautiful. Amen? God's redemption, His story, is all throughout the Bible. 
when Adam and Eve fell, one of the judgments that, that God uh, uh, released was He turned, he, he, he caused thorns to grow from the ground. He cursed the ground. And these thorns were a sign, a reminder of God's judgment, of man's failure, of man, the fall of man. And these thorns, as they walk past it, would be an everyday reminder of their failure, of their failing. It was the sign of, of you are cursed because you disobeyed. These thorns, the ground. The, the Bible is full of stories of thorns. You know, I was doing a study and, and I realized that, that there are so many stories that, that revolve around thorns. And it, it really paints a picture of God's redemption. After that story, we find ourselves the story of Moses and Moses had an encounter with the Lord. How did God speak to him? Through a bush. Do you know that that bush was a thorny bush? It's a bush of thorns. Then the tabernacle that he instructed him to build, he told him to build it with acacia wood. One of the main building materials used to build that tabernacle was acacia wood. And acacia is a tree famous for its extremely long thorns. The last place Israel encamps before they entered the promised land was called Abel Shittim, which means the field of thorns. And then we find ourselves moments before the crucifixion where Jesus was presented with a crown of thorns. The thorns were long. They didn't just graze him. It pierced him and lodged in his skull. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is that whole account where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and we come face to face with the humanity of Jesus. Jesus had questions. Jesus had doubts. Jesus was fearful of the pain, much like me and you. But instead, he, he took the, the taunts. No, he even prayed a prayer, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but nevertheless, let your will be done. He took the taunts because from that taunts that pierced the skin, that pierced that skull, flowed the blood that flowed from the crown of his head to his feet, from his feet to the earth, and to the earth to cleanse you and I from all sin, from unrighteousness, and to save us from an eternity away from His presence. From the thorn came the provision. What started as an affliction ended in redemption. What started as frustration ended in provision. What started as pain ended in glory. He wore the thorns but for a moment, and now He's seated on the throne forever. Your thorns have a purpose. Pain has a purpose. There is redemption that is possible. There is a purpose for your trials. The thorn preserves your character. It keeps you dependent on Him. It keeps you dependent on the one who can truly bring all that you need. The thorn gives you an opportunity to bring a sacrifice of praise to give to an opportunity to present something that actually costs you. And the thorn sets the stage for his divine intervention 
where your weakness is, made, is met with his strength, where your ashes is met with his beauty. Does it make sense? Paul said this, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Shift your perspective with regards to pain. This pain compared to that great eternal reward. This pain compared to that purpose that is about to release in your lives pales in comparison. Amen? Can we stand in this place? Does that make sense? Yes. How many of you have feel that in this moment, in this season of your lives, you have some thorns in you? How many of you feel that? Pain, hardship, circumstance, might be people in your life. How many of you feel how many of you resonate with that, that you have thorns, you have certain things in your life that, that are hard, that are painful. And you struggle with seeing purpose in it. You struggle with seeing value in it. How many of you? Can I see your hands? Great, great, awesome. Today I want to pray for you. I want to pray a, a very... Um, it's a heart prayer because I'm not going to pray for those thorns to be removed for those thorns to be taken away because here's the thing I, I've come to realize that that Christians find themselves in similar circumstances again and again and again because they failed to learn the lesson to which they're supposed to learn in the past circumstance I mean you recognize that does that make sense and so today I'm going to ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon this place that your eyes will be open to see the way He sees, to see it from divine perspective, to view your circumstance from the throne of grace. So if that is you this morning, I want you to close your eyes and just begin to engage with the Lord this morning. In your own way, just begin to to pull on Him, put a demand on heaven this morning that God will release purpose for your pain. And in that, He will bring about a hope for redemption, a hope that all things will be made beautiful, that all things will work together for your good. 